Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there. Hope you're enjoying the weekend. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Saturday, March 27th. Frank Sample joined by Scott White, and this is our last bonus mailbag podcast of the offseason. Thanks again to everybody for leaving five-star reviews on Apple and, of course, emailing in all of your questions throughout draft season. Hope your drafts are going well. Of course, this is a huge weekend for fantasy baseball drafts. Opening day right around the corner. If you are watching on YouTube, you might notice that I am wearing this flashy polo shirt. I got tired of Scott showing me up, so you know what? I thought you know, thought I'd step it up a little bit. And now, Scott, you're wearing a Marlins hat. You're a Braves fan. It's like, imagine me coming on here and wearing... A Red Sox hat or something. Come on, man. <laughs> Not quite the same. Not quite the same as the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. But you wear Rangers hats. That's true. Uh, Pirates. I think I've seen you wear Pirates gear before. You yeah. know, kind of just, kind of just a baseball fan. And if I want to wear this teal-colored shirt, like the Marlins, you know, the Marlins hat just goes with it. I appreciate it. I appreciate the uh, the matching look there. Let's jump right in. We'll hit some Apple Podcast review questions right here at the top. And this one is from More Kokomo. How can we possibly play More Kokomo? We play it every Friday, and it's a Kokomo Friday theme song. So I think we played just the right amount of, of Kokomo. Hey, Luke, Pete, Chris, and Giancarlo. Voight, Alonzo, Davis, and Giancarlo. Are those like the... Um home run leaders the last four years. That's what I'm guessing. Makes the most sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in a 12-team, 7-by-7 head-to-head categories league with OBP, hits, and Ks as the added offensive categories. K-to-walk rate, quality starts, and saves plus holds on the pitching side. I typically look at points league rankings since the categories reflect the points league and I normally punt seals. I made some trades, but now I have the eighth overall pick, three third-round picks, one fourth-round pick, and one sixth-round pick. I already know my eighth overall pick will be one of Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, or Jacob DeGrom. Curious as to how you guys would, who you guys would take if you had five picks between 29th and 41st. All right, Scott, so assume you take one of those pitchers in the first round. You now have uh-huh. five picks between the... Th- in the third and fourth rounds, how how would you divvy those up? Well, um, okay, obviously this isn't a keeper league, so that helps. That makes it easier. Uh, okay, so you're starting pitcher, five picks between 29 and 41. Boy, so really all the all the pitchers we would count on, we would think of as being like uh, Cy Young contenders are already gone. At this point, obviously. Well, obviously, if if Corey Seager's there, I would take him. DJ LeMay, who's there, I would take him. Probably take Alex Bregman if he's there. Don't know that I'd take all three. Use three of those five picks on those three, but those would earn, um, you know, a little a little tick up from me. And then I would look at what pitchers are there. If it's Maeda, if it's Brandon Woodruff. Who else is in that range? I know Zach Gallen isn't anymore. Jack yeah, those Fla- would probably be the main two. Maeda and Woodruff, if they're there. Jack Flaherty's right on the cutoff, but he might, he might be there at yeah. 29. He might be there. It's a long shot, but he might. Uh, Kershaw's another one. He might. He has an ADP of 31. Yeah. Beyond those pitchers are like Lance Lynn, Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, Steven Strasburg. I, I don't think it's a bad idea to reach into that group if you if you want to be pitcher heavy. But it is a little reachy, so you know, at least consider what other hitters are there. Maybe if like a Marcelo Zuna is there, 
that's that's somebody I draft occasionally in that range. That's that's probably what I'd think of doing. Yeah, I think if you take one of Cole Bieber or DeGrom and you have five picks in this range, I would probably use at least two of them on starting pitching starting pitchers. And then you would use the other three on hitters. So through your first six picks by 40, 41st overall, you would have three hitters and three pitchers. Just a few other hitters. I'm not sure if you mentioned Kyle Tucker, Scott. I'm per- perfectly fine with him in yeah, this range. Yeah, he's punting steals, so I kind of oh. passed over the base stealers. That's true. That makes sense. Marcelo Zuna can make sense for a punt steals build. Um, anyone else? Mm. Whit Merrifield, if you weren't punting steals, I would consider in this range. But yep. again, if you are. Mm-hmm. then never mind. Yep, Bregman, I agree with you. Anthony Rendon, we talk a lot about. Perfectly fine with either one of those. Rafael Devers, if those other two third basemen are gone, I'm, I'm cool with that as well. This next one is from The Mander 5. 12-team, 5x5 Roto with three outfielders, two utility spots, five starting pitchers, and four relief pitcher spots. I pick fifth overall. This league has a pitching innings cap of 1350, 1,350 for the year. I'm wondering how that affects overall draft strategy. I'm hoping to go to Grom with another pitcher in my first two picks. Overall, would your overall would your draft strategy change with this setup? I know Chris has mentioned recently the average Roto team two years ago had around 1,300 innings pitched. So considering you have to start five starting pitchers and four relief pitchers, it's yeah. It's probably going to be a reach for you even to get to thirteen fifty. I'd imagine, Scott. Yeah, I would think so too. I'm not used to seeing an innings cap. The traditional innings limit for a standard roto league is is nine hundred in innings minimum. I should say is nine hundred. Uh, so you know, if, if Chris researched and and found that most teams got to thirteen hundred, going with nine pitchers, you got to figure most of them were starting fewer than four relievers. So even more innings being added on with the starting pitchers. I don't think it's something you should really worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I would just draft normally. I have If you want to use two your first two picks on starting pitchers and that was your, your strategy regardless, just coming into the season, then sure, I think you should remain with that. And you know we love pitching, so uh, I'm, I'm not right. opposed from, to that idea. This one's from Maxman. In a CBS Daily 10-team Roto Keeper League with OPS instead of batting average, I can keep Shohei Otani for a ninth rounder. I know this is, a, is higher than ADP, but the upside is so tantalizing given the league format is a ninth rounder too steep a price. For what it's worth, my other keepers are Shane Bieber, Chris Paddock, Zach Plesak, and Ian Happ. Scott, I came on here the other day and I said, I might use a fifth or sixth round pick um, on Shohei Otani in a in a daily lineup league where you can reap all of his benefits. But this is a 10-team yeah. league, so it's a little bit more shallow. I think I would still do it for a ninth rounder. Yeah, that makes sense. And even if it wasn't a daily league, like Otani's the sort of player that somebody might reach four or five rounds for. So if if you're really high on him and if you think the upside is enormous which it is I, I don't have a problem keeping him in the ninth round obviously it would be it would depend on if I'm throwing off throwing back some amazing keeper instead but when you're drafting in the ninth round that's not really a make or break stage of the draft uh, where you you would you would have major regrets giving up that pick I feel like so certainly because it's a daily I think it's it's fine keeping Otani in the ninth round but even if it wasn't I don't think it would be I don't think it would be the worst idea. Yep, I'm with you. Let's do it. Let's keep Shohei Otani there. This one's from T-Money. 12-team, 5x5, Roto League. I can keep two players. I, I've decided on keeping Luis Robert in the... Robert Robert. Oh, man. I'm just going to message a White Sox broadcaster, and hopefully they respond to me because this I, is... Well, I think we know they call them him Rob, uh, Robert, right? Yeah, and and then I mentioned someone last week and sent me a snippet of an article that from actually, when when Robert was nineteen and saying in Cuba they they pronounce it Robert, but uh-huh. since then Robert himself has been calling himself Luis Robert. So okay, I, 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 he must decide he liked it. I don't know. Robert, we will go with Robert for now. I'm gonna listen back to a, a spring training broadcast and just see how they say it. Would you keep Dylan Bundy in the twentieth or Nick Madrigal in the twenty second to help lock down steals? I to lock down steals. Oh, magical to lock down steals. No, I'm not. 
I, I would definitely keep Bundy in the 20th. It's a better discount. And while I'm hopeful Madrigal will run, we haven't really seen him do that much in the majors, and I don't think it's a guarantee. But really, that more than anything, it's just that the discount for Bundy here is so much greater. Yeah, I'm not even a huge Dylan Bundy fan, but in the 20th round, that's a no-brainer. Keep him with Luis Robert, and there you go. This next one's from CDMO83. My keepers are Bauer, Kershaw, Lynn, Machado, and Ozuna in a 10-team head-to-head points league. I have the sixth pick in our draft this weekend. What would be your approach from this spot? I am leaning towards attacking pitching heavy and then filling out my hitters after I have my top five. So he already has a top three, Scott, of Trevor Bauer, Clayton Kershaw, and Lance Lynn. I guess you can use two of your first three picks from the sixth spot and you know, you'll, you'll have five uh, there. It's a points league, so what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the fact you already have two early round hitters in, in Machado and Ozuna... You know, I've, I've said before that if I think if you went in a points league just drafting straight pitchers until they were all gone, I, I don't think that's necessarily the wrong approach. There are a few first-round hitters that I think need to be taken before that second wave of pitching becomes in. Basically, in a points league, I go Bauer, DeGrom, I'm sorry, Bieber, DeGrom, Cole to start out. But then once they're gone, before you dip into the next tier at pitcher, uh, you know, I would make sure Juan Soto, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Jose Ramirez, Freddie Freeman, and Christian Yelich. I'd make sure all of them are gone before I dipped into the next tier. But, you know, again, if if you just went pitcher until all the good ones are gone, even ignored that last bit of advice, I, I don't think it would be... I don't think it would play out so poorly for you as long as you're somebody who knows you're going to play the waiver wire all year and scoop up hitters as they emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Um, maybe all the good pitchers were kept and the best you're looking at in this draft are guys like like Dylan Bundy. I don't know. I suppose that's possible. In which case, you might want to you might want to rethink that, think that a little. But assuming there are some good ones out there, I, I think I would... Uh, Definitely emphasize pitching with your first few picks. Yeah, it's a ten-team league, five keepers each. You know, top fifty players or so could be kept. Um, but I would agree. I mean, like even in a shallower league, that means there's going to be even more hitters available that are awesome, and you need to stand out in pitching that much more. So I agree. I would be all right using my first two picks, two of my first three, something like that on starting pitching. This next one's from West Sixth. I'm in the final season of a twelve-team head-to-head categories league. How does that work? Like you just all right, we're going to wrap up this, uh, our league after this season. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, who should I take as my three keepers? Manny Machado in round one, JT Real Muto in round two, Zach Gallon in round two. Sorry, bud. Kyle Tucker in round three, Sonny Gray in round 10, Dustin May in round 20, Matthew Boyd in round 20, or Patrick Corbin in round 22. He needs two of the, uh, three of those, rather. Ugh. Well... Not sure you're winning the final season of your league. <laughs> uh, okay, so the only one that seems obvious to me is Kyle Tucker in round three. Not that it's amazing value, but it's 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 fine. At least you're not overpaying for him. Mm-hmm. Manny Machado in round one, I think I'd lean toward that. Just, well, then you're giving up your first round pick and maybe somebody really good slipped through. I mean, Scott, we don't like Patrick Corbin, but in round 22... Yeah, I guess you kind of have to. There's yeah. not really... You, you just have to. There, there's not really a great alternative. <sighs> yeah, all right, all right. Throwback Machado in round one. Definitely Rio Muto in round two. It's just, you, you don't, I, I imagine there are going to be good players getting thrown back that you'll rather use those picks on. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tucker, keep Tucker in round three, keep Patrick Corbin in round 22, and I guess Sonny Gray in round 10, even though yeah, that's where I'm I was not leaning. so high on him either. Yeah. Don't love those keepers, but good luck, buddy. West 6th, Tucker, Gray, and Patrick Corbin. This one's from J.P. Garn. Who are some high K per nine middle relief names that weren't around last year and might be called up after spring training this year? Players like Devin Williams. All right, well, (laughs) this is going to be interesting. I play in a complex uh, keeper roto league with 11 offensive categories and 11 pitching categories and need to find some sneaky good holds guys with high strikeout rates. So, 
obviously, Scott, it's a little bit easier to answer the the hold part of it and the strikeout part. I mean, predicting reliever, <laughs> well, here's the thing about reliever Devin prospects. I think this will sum it up. Yeah, I hadn't. I didn't. I had not heard of Devin Williams until last September. Mm-hmm. So you know, he was already up for a while before I had even heard of him. Um, because that's that's just like these guys so often come out of nowhere. Sometimes they're good starting pitching prospects that just get moved to relief, like a Josh Hader, for instance. But a lot of times they come out of nowhere. Uh, somebody who might not make the roster and hasn't had an awesome spring, and, and we've mentioned him as a potential closer candidate at some point this year is uh, David Bedner, right? Isn't that yes. the name for the Pirates? For the Pirates, yep. B-E-D-N-A-R. Yep. Seems like he could emerge as that guy, but you know, so um, you kind of just you kind of just wait and see those guys when they emerge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't really think there's going to be any shortage of them. Like, of course, you want higher strikeout relievers, and and a lot of people know those names. Garrett Crochet comes to mind. Michael Kopech. I mean, these are prospects that are going to start in the bullpen for the White Sox, and at least for Kopech, maybe work his way up to a rotation spot. But uh, they could, you know, get tons of swings and misses, tons of strikeouts. And the other names that we've mentioned before that are just solid setup guys, Chad Green, uh, Tanner Rainey is one that comes to mind, Jake Diekman for the Oakland A's. Um, I'm looking at K per nine over the past two years for relievers. Tyler Matzek, who is on the Braves, actually has a very high strikeout rate. Yeah, he was great last year and and is a multi-inning reliever, which is nice. He's, you know, sometimes he goes just one inning, but he's often a multi-inning reliever. Tyler Duffy for the Minnesota Twins is another one who gets Mm -hmm. a ton of strikeouts. Uh, Adam Adovino, who is now with the Red Sox, he might work his way into some saves as well. Trevor May is now with the New York Mets, should get a ton of uh, holds and has a good strikeout rate. Scott Barlow and Josh Stallmont with the Kansas City Royals should be setting up for Greg Holland. Stallmont especially, a lot of strikeout potential. The mm-hmm. whip was high last year, but, you know, that he, he could make strides with that potentially. Rafael Dolis with the Blue Jays. I mean, there's one man down now. We know Kirby Yates is not going to be... Um, he's going to be out for, I, I think, all the entire season for the Blue Jays. So Jordan Romano moves up to the ninth. Rafael Dolis... Likely in the eighth, uh, Giovanni Gallegos with the Cardinals. We've talked about him a lot. Anybody Lucas else? Sims. I mean, he might be drafted yep. as a closer candidate, but yep. if they do go Amir Garrett, then Sims will be setting him up. Jose Alvarado is one that I keep gravitating towards, and he's actually my pick to lead the Phillies in saves this year. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's a bold prediction or not, but I just don't think Archie Bradley and uh, who's the other gentleman? Hector Neris. I don't think they're very good, so... I'm hoping for Jose Alvarado. And that's the last actual Apple podcast review question we received, Scott. But I did want to address this. Some dude on Apple gave us three stars, three out of five stars, and said that we've, quote, gone corporate. What do you think, Scott? Is that true? Have we gone corporate? Gone corporate. What would that even Um, mean? You know, we read some promos. We we do work for a large corporation. That's true. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe we always were corporate. Were we ever the rogue podcast? I don't know. Uh, I think think if some higher ups at CBS ever listened to me, they'd wonder what I was doing on this podcast. No, Um, stop. So so maybe in that (laughs) way, we're not so corporate. I think I keep it pretty casual. Look at me wearing my old school Marlins hat and my... uh, old school video game t-shirt here. I don't know. I don't know if that's corporate or not. One thing that I will say that Adam, look, Adam and I do things very differently. I I try my best to listen back to what Adam has done and and I try to replicate a lot of the the great things that I I thought he did on this podcast. But one thing that he definitively is better at than me is just like whatever just pops into his head that day that he did, for example, you know, if he saw peeps when he was at the supermarket, he would bring up peeps and you guys just talk about peeps and just go down a <laughs> rabbit hole of talking about stuff like that. So I could probably do a better job of just bringing random things from my outside life. But I just I kind of think like people don't care about that. And they, they just rather hear us talk about <laughs> fantasy baseball. So, well, certainly it's certainly uh, tricky to find the right balance of that. That stuff is that e- stuff is fun. Easter's coming, Scott. Do you have any any peeps takes that you want to update the people with? Well, look, I'm known for my take on peeps, which it's actually been misinterpreted 
people that have interpreted my take on peeps that they're like the best thing ever and I'm obsessed with them. My take is actually that I don't understand why people revile them so when it's basically a marshmallow covered with sugar and like people are fine with marshmallows people are generally fine with sugar in their like what why is this combination sent people over the edge i don't get it i, I think peeps are fine i actually think easter is great for candy it has it offers some of the best candy it, oh. they're all polarizing apparently the cadbury um, chocolate eggs those are my, oof, those are well great. you're talking about the ones with the candy shell on the outside right I believe so. Those are great for sure. But I, I think my favorite is the Cadbury cream eggs, which some people think is icky too. I guess, I, I don't know. They get, uh, yeah. they, they don't, they don't like the consistency of the cream or something, but I don't know that I've had, I, I've definitely seen the label of the cream egg. I don't know that I've ever had one in my life. I think it might be my single favorite candy. Oh man. And then the other one is, Jelly bean, but specifically black jelly beans. I could do without all the other jelly beans. I actually bought a bag. I, I found it in the store for the first time of just the black jelly beans, which I think are amazing. But again, some people think they're disgusting. So I don't know. Maybe I have horrible taste in candy, but Cadbury cream eggs, black jelly beans, Ooh. and Peeps, I'm fine with all of them. I'm good with all of them. Give them to me. Oh. I'll eat them up this time of year. Man. And... uh I hope people are listening to this mailbag podcast because these are the takes that they need to hear. And uh, black licorice Easter, uh, I mean, um, jelly jelly beans, Scott, oof. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are rough. Get that, you get that tingly feeling on your oh. tongue when you eat them. Oh, those, are, those are polarizing for sure. You either, you either really like those or you absolutely hate them. <laughs> it, there is no It's so true. When I was checking out at the grocery store with the bag, the the... The, the lady who was scanning my groceries, she was like, where did you find these? I didn't know they had these. Like, I think you and I are the only people who like black jelly beans. And then the, <laughs> the bagger person was like, nope, me too. So like, it's just like, yeah, it's like, it might be the most polarizing candy out there. Yeah, you, <laughs> you and two other people in a supermarket might be the only three people in all of Florida who like uh, black licorice jelly beans. So I'm, uh -huh. I'm definitely out on those. The they, they don't sell any other color jelly beans, at least not in a typical grocery store by itself. That's true. So. They don't just sell orange jelly beans right. for whatever reason. If you are watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you are listening to the podcast, we're going to take a quick break. But when we, we return, we have fantasy justice for all. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So last week, Scott, I did the mailbag with Chris, and we debuted a new segment called Fantasy Justice for All. And of course, you were around for regulators. Since then, we haven't been able to do regulators because for, for copyright purposes. And uh, Adam on the football side has gone to the fantasy cops. So basically, I just blended fantasy, the word fantasy, in with the Metallica album and justice for all, and I thought it made sense. Fantasy justice for all. So that's what I've come up with. And for this, you know, this is, if you have a non-fantasy related question, if you have a commissioner question, or just any type of league rules, or anything shady going on in your league, just email us in and, and drop the word fantasy justice in the subject line, and we will get to your question. And also, Scott, whenever I am getting ready to read a fantasy justice question, we have this little Soundbite. Some Oof. nice little epic music. It's like we are getting ready to judge you for what is about to happen. So 
That's that music sounds a little corporate to me, Frank. Yeah, that is. Uh, I just realized I wrote from from Atlanta, so it's from somebody in Atlanta. I will find out your name in just a second. Let's pull this up. Fantasy Justice for All from from Jake from Jake in Atlanta. Okay, so bear with me a little bit here. My home league with all my high school buddies is a head-to-head points league with up to three optional keepers. We did not play last year and the year before that I was the runner-up. Therefore, I pick 11th in the first round and second on the turn. Yes? Well, the commission says that only that only starts in round four. First three picks I'll pick at the end. Fourth round two. So if I keep zero players and another team keeps zero players, they will pick in front of me rounds one to four, even even though neither of us are keeping a single player. When I bring this up to the commission, he says it's my choice to not keep anyone, so it's fair that I pick last. First, oh my God, this is all over the place. Four most important, da, 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 da. technically, if everyone selects zero keepers, the entire league, save one team, will pick ahead of me four consecutive rounds to start the draft and completely tank my season before the first pitch is ever thrown. He also says the app will not let him start the, the snake in round four, either snake or none at all. I told him there's enough tools out there to make the draft work however we want. This cannot be the first time this issue has come up. Thanks for regulating. Although it's whatever. Fantasy justice for all. Um, okay. Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. It's kind of a convoluted question, but um, yeah, I mean, it definitely seems weird that why don't they just use a, a snake type of, even if there are keepers involved, I don't understand why that would change things, right? It's it's weird. Uh, well, I, I mean, if this is, if these are the rules for the league, the two participants in the championship game, I I guess, yeah. um, they they don't, they have to pick at the end of every round the following year. I, I mean, that's a little me. I mean, even if it was the it, first round, right? Say you, okay, whatever. You finish in second place, you have to pick 11th out of 12. And, and if you win the league, you have to pick 12 out of 12. It should still snake, right? I mean, that's kind of crazy. I, I mean, not if they don't want it to. I, I'm fine with it. I mean, I understand the rationale for it. You're, you're trying to in, encourage parity. Um, and I, I actually play in a league like that, one of my score sheet leagues. The It's just the champion, but he drafts last in every single round the following year while everyone else gets to snake. So it's, it's not unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if the, if the commissioner springing this rule on you for the first time this year, I could understand being miffed by that, but if it's I, the yeah, way I it's agree. always been, I, I don't really see a problem with it. As far as setting up the, the draft goes, you can, you can set up a draft so that you, you, you set the draft order every single round. You don't have to commit to snake or not. You can, you can customize, every pick in your draft when in, in terms of what order it happens. So that shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, no, I agree with, okay, if this is how the league was set up, sure, like you should go with it. You should know the rules by now. But it, it kind of sounds to me like this guy is changing things out of nowhere. Or Well, know. if that if that's what happened, I didn't necessarily read that from this, but if, yep. if that's what's happening... Um, I, yeah, I, I, I could understand being upset about that. Ultimately, you know, unless you and a bunch of other people badger the commissioner and he changes it, I don't think there's much you can do about it. But, mm. uh, but I, I could see being under upset about that if if the year you do well is the year he decides to make this change. Yep, rules are rules. If this was in place and you got to play with it, if this commissioner is just bringing it on you, then I say you all revolt against him. Boom! Fantasy justice. <laughs> Emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one's from Adam. As an expansion team entering into an already established 10-team 5x5 Roto League, I've accepted I won't be competing for the next couple of years while I stockpile young starlets. However, my main question comes down to the first pick of the upcoming draft. Should I opt for slugging, like Rafael Devers, or pitching, like Lucas Giolito? Yes, those are the top two players available. Things are going to be rough. <laughs> Which would be better to build around for the next four-ish years? Additionally, do you have any super hot young sleepers I should be targeting? I am in a unique position where I can comfortably reach, say, for someone like Gavin Lux, while other guys are still grabbing players to compete, like Paul Goldschmidt. So, first question, Scott. Devers or Giolito, if you are in a 
keeper league and, and looking for someone who's going to be the better one over the next four years and some, some young hot sleepers. Well, you know, I, I value somebody like Lucas Giolito more, but in, if, you're, if you're thinking long-term, it's harder to say that a Giolito is going to remain a Giolito than a Devers is going to remain a Devers. But this is a 10-team league. Very shallow. It's Roto. Of, it's Roto, by the way. Still, very shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't, like... I I would I I don't really see myself ever going like the long term rebuild route in a ten team league. I just think I have enough confidence in myself to to assemble a, a competitive team on the fly, regardless of what hand I'm dealt. So if I were you, I wouldn't go the route you're suggesting here um, and picking up a lot of a lot of prospects or less than established players so that you can hope to compete in two or three years. I mean, if it was like a, a, a 24 team league, okay, I understand that. But 10 team league, like there's half of everybody's roster is going to turn over before the end of the season, if not more than that. So like, the, I, I just, I don't think you need to pigeon your whole pigeonhole yourself into that, <laughs> pigeon, that plan. Pigeon your hole. I'll pigeon your hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you can tell we are just losing it, man. And the baseball season hasn't even started yet. A few younger names, though, if you just wanted to, that I could see moving up a couple of rounds in value over the next couple of years. Andrew Vaughn, we've been talking about a ton recently. I wouldn't mind reaching on someone like him. Alex Kirilov, we were excited about, still are, but he's not going to start the season with the Minnesota Twins. Nick Senzel, someone who's getting a lot of hype right now with the Cincinnati Reds. Those were three hitters that I could see um, emerging and being drafted much higher in drafts next year. This next one's from Colin. One thing I don't think is spoken about enough is how your in-season strategy plays into your draft strategy. For example, I play in a 6 by 6 category keeper league with quality starts and OPS as the added categories, and I feel fine completely punting saves and stolen bases in my draft with plans to either pick these up off the waiver wire or trade future draft picks for those categories if I am in contention down the stretch. Shouldn't this be an important factor going into draft day? Yeah. Yeah, it's an important factor. I mean, I I don't know that we've necessarily address that as a topic specifically, but it's kind of folded into all of our draft analysis. Like, you know, obviously I've talked before about how if it comes to it, I'm okay coming out of a roto draft with without any saves because I, I know there are going to be a tons emerging on the waiver wire over the course of a season. I think that's harder to do with steals because the kind of steals you're going to find on the waiver wire might be from very bad hitters overall. Um so it'd be difficult to slot that into your lineup without sacrificing in other areas. So I, I don't know that I'd recommend it for that category. But for saves, I think I think that's the one category you can do it with. Uh, but, you know, I mean, even, even what I was saying about head-to-head points leagues earlier, drafting all the high-end starting pitchers until they're gone, that's because I know I'm going to be on top of things on the waiver wire and I'm going to snag a bunch of hitters who nobody saw coming at the start of the year. And I'm still going to end up with a quality lineup that way. If if that's not you, if you if you're not gonna if you're not gonna operate that way, then you got to be a little more balanced from the get go. So yeah, it factors into all of it. This is more about you, the listener, right? So this comes down to what kind of manager you are, and if you've played fantasy baseball in the past, you might have an inkling into what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. And I would say play into your strengths, right? If you know that you are good at finding saves and steals on the waiver wire or finding trades, uh, buy low trades for those type of players, then sure, you can come out of the draft punting those things and you can build up an awesome starting pitching staff and you can have all this power. And then if you want to trade off later on in the season because you're leading in those categories in Roto to try and acquire some saves or steals, then sure, you can go after that. But it's really hard for us to specifically talk about something like this because every fantasy manager is different. I mean, if you've played ever, you should kind of have an idea of what your strengths and weaknesses are. So um, I think ultimately... You know, we do our best to analyze each player and say what they provide. And 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 after that, you should be able to kind of form your own strategy based on what type of fantasy manager you are. This one's from Jack Boyce. Some puns. 
So if there's a player that hasn't really had that much of a, uh, that hasn't played that much, shouldn't it be a small stamp full size? Maybe. Uh, I should have had the sound effect ready. Also, <laughs> Scott should name his next cat Jose or Kitty Kitty. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a next cat. Have you ever had I don't a cat know, hopefully, before? Hopefully I live a long life and, and you know, opportunity to change the mind but i'm not i'm not i'm not really a pets person it was my wife's cat i inherited her it by i inherit i should call him a him i'm enough of a pets person to at least call him a him instead of an it i inherited him by marrying my wife but i think once we started having kids like even even the pet thing got kind of you know she's kind of over it too she's She's, she's meeting her nurturing needs with the children. And so, <laughs> I don't know, she doesn't seem motivated to get another one either. Yeah, so. I, I've pretty much gone the opposite route, Scott. I've, I've opted to, uh, to stay away from the, the, the kids route for now. And, and, and I got a yeah. cat, so I didn't name it Jose or Kitty or Jose or Kitty. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, cats are a lot easier. Cats or dogs? Which one do you like more, Scott? Um, dogs. Boo. Dogs. Dogs are more work, though. So yeah, they yeah. are. No, I I realize this is this is kind of a this is an Azer take. This is a Stanfield take. But I am big on on cats over dogs. There's cats are more self sufficient. They don't require as much work. Sure, they're not as like cuddly and playful and stuff. But whatever, man. I mean, it's still a pet. You could have fun and whatever. I don't know. You can pet it. You can pet it. There you go. You can you can cuddle with your cat. That works. It hops in your lap when you're watching TV. Sure. This next one's from John. I'm in a Roto 5x5 Keeper League. Five keepers. It resets after five years. That reset is this year. I have the third pick. All the Dynasty Top 300 lists say some version of Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, and Juan Soto. I'm tempted to ignore all and go with Mookie Betts because he is the only one of the four with a track record. Thoughts? It's fine. I, I think you can make the case for any of those four at the top. In fact, I think I have bets too behind Acuna myself. So. I mean, if you knew that you were only drafting for five years, Scott, you would really take Mookie bets for the next five years over Fernando Tatis or Juan Soto? Because I wouldn't. I think it, it's only it's only five keepers for five years. It's not this is your team for five years. Sure, but wouldn't wouldn't you rather keep Juan Soto for the next five years? I would say that towards the mm. end of that five year run. Juan Soto and Tatis are probably going to be better than Mookie Betts. Yeah, at that I point. mean, but Betts is going to be what 32, 33? Yeah, he's. I, I mean, he's, he's not going to run that much at that point. I would imagine. You never yeah. Know. Yeah, it wouldn't be me, but I. I don't think it's crazy. I guess is is more the more the tact I'm taking here. If if I, I think it, I think it's a reasonable pick to make. But I, I get what you're saying. Five years from now, a lot's going to be different. So it's a sure. you know it's always difficult to predict that far far ahead. But it's it's more likely that Acuna and Tatis especially are still contributing steals, and maybe Soto as well. So if you had the third pick, Scott, and it was say it's just Betts versus Soto, who who are you taking? In this, you know, yep, five with by the five hope of keeping him for five years. Yep, I would take Soto. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would as well. And if it's Tatis, I would I would take Tatis there. This next one's from Blaine. Grade the trade in an 11-team Dynasty Roto League. I give up Bo Bichette. I get Aaron Nola, Jordan Alvarez, Keston Hiura. 11-team Dynasty Roto. Oh, I mean, gosh. I would trade Bichette straight up for Nola. So, well, maybe not in Dynasty, but yeah, I mean, adding Alvarez in there, yeah, that's a that's a good trade for you. Uh, a, it's an A. Yeah, that is an A plus. That is a slam dunk. I love it. This one's from Brian. I've listened faithfully this season, and if I have learned anything, it's that two of the three of you love getting that top three starting pitcher in the top part of the draft. I'm picking eighth, and the only way I'm getting one of those guys is if they do not listen to the podcast as much as I do. Assuming those top four outfielders are gone, Acuna, Trout, Betts, and Soto, I have been looking at either Tatis or Freddie Freeman. Regarding Tatis and Freeman specifically, I have almost wanted to grab Freeman over Tatis because I don't think there are really any first basemen to be excited about. Say in the top five, Cody Bellinger, if you assume health, and the head is on right, 
being the one exception. Um, the top five shortstops all seem to have great potential, and maybe I can get one in the third round. Am I overthinking this? Tatis could return top three fantasy numbers, but hasn't had the track record. Freeman has been as steady as you can get, and nobody wants to screw up the early round picks. Does not say what format. Well, I, the format makes a difference because if it's a head-to-head points league, I have no problem with you taking Freeman over Tatis. I might do it myself, but if it's if it's a categories league, specifically like a five-by-five five that weighs stolen bases, uh, you know, twenty percent for your hitters, I think you got to take the stolen bases. I think you are overthinking it. Yep, I would agree with that assessment. If you really want Freeman in a points league, no issue with it. I, I think it's close enough. Where you can make the argument, but uh, yeah, any type of categories league, I would go with Tatis. This next was from Blake, Dear Kelly, John, John, and Laird. John, John? Kelly, John, John, and Laird? <laughs> the only Laird I'm thinking of is Gerald Laird, a former catcher. Mm. I so. have nothing. I cannot. Mm. Nope, I've got nothing. I was Googling it. Can't find anything. I'm going into my ninth year in a Roto League with OPS instead of batting average. I've always taken a simple approach that power hitters get a slight bump in this format. For instance, Joey Gallo is better than he would be in a league with batting average. I love you all, but I'd like to hear Scott (laughs) explain how this draft strategy would change with OPS instead of batting average. Take it away, Scott. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I I think he pretty much, much, he pretty much nailed it. There are a lot of guys that we expect to have a terrible batting average who are monster sluggers who uh, suddenly look a lot more valuable in this format. Uh, conversely, you know, some some batting average specialists who we don't expect to do much slugging would lose a lot of value. I'm trying to think of a good example, top of mind. Uh, well, certainly somebody like Nick Madrigal or... David Fletcher. David Fletcher, yeah. Those are kind of the most extreme examples. Uh, but even someone you, like Michael Brantley or Alex Verdugo probably lose some value. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm thinking like DJ LeMahieu, I, I'm sure his OPS... I guess two years ago, his OPS was in the mid-800s, right? So that might be... That might drop him a little bit. We're expecting him to perform more like that. No, it's 893 two years ago. It's still pretty good. Yep. And then obviously over a thousand last year. So, I mean, you could look at <laughs> Joey Gallo getting an upgrade makes sense. Uh, Jorge Soler makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, Kyle yeah, Schwarber. I, I think, I think you got the right idea here. Yep. Kyle Schwarber, I think, gets a boost here. Jock Peterson, just players in that mold who hit for a lot of power. Even Max Kepler. Uh, could be solid OPS bat as well. Uh, Jesse Winker. Eh. Anyone else? Aaron Hicks. Definitely going to have a high OBP, and obviously that contributes to OPS as well. This next was from Mark. We keep hearing about how starting pitcher innings will be so low this year and valuable for owners. Kohei Arihara, who is a starting pitcher for the Texas Rangers, put in a normal workload last year when he was in Japan. <laughs> Should he be talked about more? What do you think, Scott? I think it. I think I saw he pitched 139 innings last season. So, I mean, he is conditioned more more than other starting pitchers. I, I don't think that he's. I don't know that he's good, but well, that's the thing, right? Like, it's got to be good for those innings to for you to care about those innings. I, I see what you're saying. I don't. I don't put much value in it. There are going to be. You know, the fact he threw 139, I, I don't think it, it might give him a leg up over somebody like Corbin Burns, but uh, for most of the pitching crop who are established, who are more established than that, I think they're going to be able to to exceed 150 at least. And uh, they'd be just as likely to do that as Arihara. And, you know, I, I, don't have, I don't have a great feeling about Arihara. He wasn't much of a strikeout pitcher in Japan. He hasn't looked particularly good this spring. He's pretty... I see him as pretty fringy, if even that. Mm-hmm. So far, in nine innings pitched for Arihara in the spring, he's allowed three earned runs with five strikeouts to just one walk. But I think he had a either simulated game or a B game where he got 
destroyed, and, and that's not being factored into his numbers here. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure that he's very good either, but maybe maybe he'll be an innings eater for the Texas Rangers. This one's from Ryan, Deer, Buckner, Merkel, and Snodgrass. Those are really distinctive names. I feel like we should be able to figure this out. But Sounds like something we should know. Hmm. You gonna Google that? <laughs> I'll Google that. No, I've yeah, I'm I'm currently are these these are sports blunders, I think. Bill Buckner, oh, Bill Buckner, Fred Merkel, and Fred Snodgrass. I think so. That's what we'll go with. Sure. This is the, I don't know Merkel and Snodgrass. Sorry. <laughs> this is the final year of my 12-team head-to-head categories league. Another one. This is interesting. So I have a win-now attitude and am not concerned with future value. Categories include runs, home runs, uh, RBI, stolen bases, Ks, and OBP. Pitching, saves, Ks, holds, ERA, whip, and quality starts. Okay, you are keeping a lot of people, so I'm not going to read that. Uh, my pitching is weak, so I intend to use my first two to three picks on starting pitchers. I do have concerns about the quality of starting pitchers out there since each team is keeping up to 12 players. All right, so I can only keep three of the following. We already... Oh, wow. This is crazy. So someone sent this as an Apple podcast review question, and I, we already answered oh, it's it. it's the same question. And, yeah, and I, pulled it, uh... I pulled it from an email, too. It's the Kyle Tucker in round three, Patrick Corbin, and I thought it was 22 before, but now he says round 21 and Sonny Gray yeah. in round 10. It was that one. Yeah, yeah that's, what we, that's what we'll go with. Uh, this one's from Robert. I, I like that the rest of your team is good, though. And now go. that I know that, <laughs> I, can't, I was kind of ragging on you before. Yeah, that helps for sure. Um, <laughs> this one's from Robert. Hey, Wanda, Thor, and Hulk. We know them. Those are Rugrats, of course. Keeper League, you keep <laughs> six Major League players and you keep eight Minor League players. I give up Charlie Blackman, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bassett, Kyle Wright, and a 2022 fourth-round pick. I get back Alex Kirilov, Andrew Vaughn, Hyunjin Ryu, and Marco Gonzalez. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's Blackman, Rizzo, Bassett, Kyle Wright, who just got optioned by the Atlanta Braves, and a fourth-round pick. Rizzo obviously still has a good amount of value. Charlie Blackman... I, I, yeah, I don't know. Look, I, if, 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 the way I break this down is he's getting Hyunjin Ryu and Marco Gonzalez back. I think Hyunjin Ryu and Marco Gonzalez for the two good players he's given up, Charlie Blackman, Anthony Rizzo. I think that would be a satisfactory trade as it is. And then it just so happens the other two players he's getting back are huge prospects, Andrew Vaughn and Alex Kirilov. So I think it's a pretty easy deal. This one's from Jeff in Cedar Rapids. I'm curious to know how someone should approach prospects in in redraft leagues, when Carlos Correa came up, the guy who won my league drafted him somewhere around pick 100, which was considered a reach at that point, but his team went on fire once Correa got the call-up. Noting this, I picked Lucas Giolito and Trey Turner off of the waiver wire the next year. I realized they are both fantasy studs now. They were not there uh, in their rookie years. Both struggled. Vowing never to make the same mistake again, I dismissed Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna their rookie years, and that proved to be a mistake. The next year, I toyed with the idea of drafting Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and decided I wasn't willing to pay the price, at least not in this format. Uh, that proved to be wise. How do you determine if a prospect is going to be a potential league winner like Albie, Zacuna, and Correa or in need of maturing like Lucas Giolito, Trey Turner, and Vladimir Guerrero? Well, um, I don't think it's a... I think you're taking a blanket approach here when... It's more of a case-by-case basis thing, for one thing. For another thing, it it is difficult to tell that with any real accuracy who's going to be the guy who takes off right away and who isn't. I look at things like plate discipline. uh, I look at, you know, the way the organization talks about the player, what some of the scouting reports say. I look at that kind of stuff and and make a determination from that. But it's kind of an educated guess. Really what it comes down to for me when I say don't make it a case by case, do make it a case by cases thing is uh, what your level of investment is going to look like. So I, if memory serves, Ronald Acuna was going in like the round eight, nine range when, you know, heading into his rookie season when Vladimir Guerrero, I saw him get pulled up to round two in some leagues. So it's a big difference what you're sacrificing to take the chance on the rookie. This year, somebody like Andrew Vaughn I find the price tag to be quite reasonable 
uh, you know, getting him like in the round 15 range potentially. So that's easy to me for me to do because the upside, you know, the, the down, there's not much risk with the downside at that point. The upside of course could be very rewarding. So more than who that actual player is, it's, it, it's more about what, what you sacrifice to get him and, and whether the, the reward out, outweighs the risk at that point. I, I suspect Lucas Giolito and Turner, when they got called, yeah, I mean, you said you picked them up off the waiver wires. No harm in that. You know, it didn't work out, you moved on. Mm-hmm. And anytime you see a big prospect called up during the season, you should pretty much always make a play for him. I'm not saying blow half your fab budget for him, but, you know, take a shot at picking him up just to see what happens because a lot of times they can become league winners. Yeah, and for whatever reason, we've talked about this before, Scott. The top prospects in baseball this year are going later in redraft leagues than ever before. Jared Kelnick of the Seattle Mariners is going right around pick 197, according to Fantasy Pros. Wander Franco down at 277. We don't know when these guys are going to be up, but we feel pretty confident we'll we'll see Jared Kelnick in April at some point. Maybe even Wander Franco, even Wander Franco, even Mackenzie Gore. Right. Yeah. Uh, I you don't want to devote four bench spots to those guys. I think I am in one league, but <laughs> it's a pretty big bench. Um, but a bench spot or two to to see if to to see how things go for them when they get called up. I think I think all it's likely all of them get called early up early enough that it'll be worth at least finding out will have been worth the wait. Yep, and I would throw, maybe not to the same extent in terms of upside, but I I would put uh, Logan Gilbert's name in that mix with the Seattle Mariners. I think we could see him up by the end of April as well. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Frank, thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.